Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%. APR, 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 0.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's an NFL podcast. It's Tuesday. It's November 13th. I'm Doug Norrie. That is James Davis. Oh, from DailyFantasySportsRankings.com or DFSR.com for short. You know the drill. DFSR.com slash deals gets you that free still seven-day trial uh, to our projection system powered by our good friends over at Lineup Lab. Optimal lineups for FanDuel and DraftKings. NFL, NBA, you're all covered under one subscription package. Premium chat, which our users love really building a community over there. So go check it out, dfsr.com slash deals to get yourself started. Buddy, we're coming off a of week 10 where going into the 4 o'clock games, we needed a lot of things to happen, and they all kind of happened, which <laughs> which doesn't doesn't seem like that's usually the case. Yeah, if you've got a lot um, of 4 o'clock players, that's going to happen more often than not. So. Yeah, but we're looking at staring, staring at like lower ownership on guys like Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones specifically, which I was kind of surprised about. Um, I thought maybe I was just more bullish on Jones than I guess the, the rest of the community was. Uh, there were some other uh, – he ended up obviously being awesome, but uh, our lineups for FanDuel and DraftKings – all get there uh, for cash games and some uh, for you know low end GPP scores. Uh, felt pretty good. How are you feeling though? I felt like this was the week of the the, the vultured touchdown. I don't know if you got the uh, got the same sense when it, we're watching these games, but like I'm trying to think of Spencer Ware vultures uh, Kareem Hunt. Jack, Eric, how much would you have wagered uh, on <laughs> Jack Doyle if you had heard at halftime the the Colts tight ends had something like. 13 catches, 100 yards, and like four touchdowns. Like, what, what would you, or some, some insane number like that? Yeah, we had him at like 12% like, ownership, too. The Colts play him, so obviously they go to the tight end, but yeah, we. we well, they did, the, like, their, their, their third string tight end, Mally Cox, or like, this guy's never even heard of this guy called a touchdown. That's when I kind of knew that the universe was starting to conspire against me. When they, when the, this guy that no one's ever heard of grabs this touchdown, at Doyle got tackled at a half yard there. But I did feel like the one o'clock games were something of like a, a vulture touchdown scene. There's another one I'm forgetting too, and I just can't. Oh, Derrick Henry. That was the other one. Derrick Henry, right, uh, over Deion Lewis, yeah. who ended up being kind well, of a Well, vulture touchdown for us. I, you know, vulture touchdowns just happen all the time. Like a lot of teams will get, one guy will get the ball to the one-yard line, and then someone else will score. So I try not to lose sleep over it, Doug, you know. We're going to break down uh, some of the performances from Week 10. We're going to look at some injury stuff that has cropped up. There's a couple of significant pieces of injury uh, or significant injury news that is probably going to affect uh, is going to affect um, some opportunity in a couple of different spots. And I do want to start actually with Baltimore because um, it doesn't look like Joe Flacco is going to play, and they have Lamar Jackson, who sure looks like he's going to. It, this is not an official word, but I, by all, for all intents and purposes, it seems like Flacco is not going to play this week. So we have Lamar Jackson who. Comes out of college is obviously like uh, he might have even won the Heisman. He he was a running quarterback. Um, they have been trying to work him into the offense at times this season. He's taken some pass attempts, but he's mostly got in there um, these these running packages. He's coming really cheap on DraftKings, but he's a, a relatively unknown entity. What do we want to do with guys like this, where all the athleticism is there, obviously, uh, like the pedigree and whatnot, like high draft pick, forty seven hundred in DraftKings. But how much can we? How how do we go about projecting a guy like this where 
we're working with many more unknowns than knowns when it comes to like what his I don't know what his performance can be like given a whole game in an offense. Sure. So I think we start with what we know already, as always, and what we know about Jackson already is fairly limited. But we do know that the Ravens have been giving the ball to run it three to five times a game, and the fact that they're doing that already, and he's like barely playing any snaps. Like they basically have this guy that's on their team, and they just like can't wait to get him on the field so they just put him yeah. on the field anyway even though he's a backup quarterback i think that tells you a lot of what the ravens perceive they have in this guy and i think for that reason especially at the low price tag on DraftKings, it'll be hard to get away from it i mean especially i mean we like running quarterbacks already but if he's getting he had five carries last game against pittsburgh he had seven carries against buffalo <laughs> like he's gonna carry the ball eight to ten times in the game and with this price he's already playable potentially on just those carries and so if he's going to throw the ball 25 times as well then all of a sudden you just have an excellent play on your hands i think you probably don't want to bother on FanDuel at 7,000. i think you can wait a week and see if he's legit you probably just have other values you know in a similar price range like you're, you're just on a basic level you just take andrew luck for 800 more that could be crazy to take him over some of these other guys even fitzpatrick trubisky some of those but i think that on DraftKings, where the price is cheaper you can definitely get away with him yeah, right now I have him for 28 passing attempts and 8 carries. I mean, they, the carries are way more than you're going mean, to... That'd be like just below the Cam Newton range of like where we kind of project running back touches for... Or excuse me, running running attempts for a quarterback. And Newton is almost by himself sort of like an outlier case. But I agree with you in the way that they've used him. That sure does seem like the plan. I don't think you can... You can't really give him like Flacco's 40 passing attempts because I just no. don't think that, that that's what that's not going to be how they kind of roll. But at, if you think a quarterback's going to run 8 times... And I think that's a reasonable expectation. Like at forty seven hundred on DraftKings, like you said, is going to be very tough uh, to get away from. I'm actually wondering on another quarterback, and we can look back to week a week ten performance, and that's Ryan Fitzpatrick. So Fitzpatrick is another guy. He's coming cheap again this week. He, I think, like first, okay. So we he was a guy we got away from in cash games, like right sort of the last second. For the the fact that the uh, Tampa Bay only put up three points, he actually wasn't bad. He threw for over four hundred yards in this game, forty <laughs> passing attempts. Uh, you could say he ran just unbelievably bad, like in the red zone. He threw, he fumbled near the end of the game after Evans, Mike Evans had just had a flat out drop of a touchdown. Um, right. the, the play right before the fumble, Evans just, I, I just don't even know how he didn't catch it. Like it just was right in his hands. He was on his knees and the ball just went right through it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Fitzpatrick fumbles the next play. Jack was Rogers was on his way to the end zone and just gets a ball knocked as far as I've ever seen a ball get hit out of a runner's hand. Like he was at the 20 yard line and the ball ended up like five yards into the end zone, um, just in the air. That's how hard this guy knocked it out of Jack was Rogers. So I guess I'm pointing these out to say, it sure seems like Fitzpatrick ran as bad as possible on touchdowns and just scoring. Is he a guy you could go back to in cash games? He's also coming very, very cheap. And our system is really, is really liking this against the giants at 5,600. Yeah. I think he'll be a great play. I think, you know, if people are scared off of Fitzpatrick this week, it's for the wrong reasons. The guy completed 70% of his passes for 400 yards. The fact that he turned that into zero touchdowns and three turnovers is a standard deviation away, at least away from expectation in terms of fantasy points. If you just start with that baseline of 406 passing yards, and then you look at the number of, uh, and the completion percentage, and then you look at the actual number of fantasy points he produced. So yeah, I'm heavily in on Fitzpatrick this week. And, you know, I liked him last week too. And and so did many people, by the way, he was uh, like 55 to 60% owned in most cash games. So yep, I'm back on the Fitzpatrick train again. 
Um, and one of the the, the Fitzpatrick thing wasn't an injury thing, so I'm skipping around a little bit. But I want to um, go back to one injury piece that is relevant for this coming week, and um, it's not going to be for the main slate because this Kansas City Rams game that's I believe it's going, taking place in Mexico um, is the Monday night game, which is a shame that this game is not on the main slate. This game has opens at a yes yeah, 64 over under. I think that's the highest. Might be the highest in NFL history, like for an over under on a game. But Cooper Cup has is a torn ACL and is going to miss the rest of the season. Do we have enough information on the Rams' plan when he did not play? He did sit those two weeks. Um, they ended up not having to pass a ton those two weeks. Do we have enough information on these guys to say, like, Reynolds is a clear play, or, like, the Cooks and Woods and Gurley just get more targets? Like, how do we redistribute his Cups targets um, knowing that he's not going to be there? And we, we do have a couple game sample size on this. Yeah, so this is actually pretty difficult. I think, you know, we did see the one decent week out of Josh Reynolds, but he only got five targets, so... I don't think you want to project him too aggressively. Uh, the big issue for trying to figure the situation out was the Rams were just involved in blowouts, basically, when Cup was hurt. And so someone like Robert Woods, who the whole universe was on during those weeks, he wasn't that good. And so I think that people uh, will tend to walk away from it just a little bit. Woods is still pretty expensive if you're playing that uh, Thursday slate, is it? Or it's a Thursday to Monday slate, yeah. So late yeah. Sunday slate, too. And so I don't, I mean, I think on that, if you're playing him on either the super tiny slate, Sunday into Monday, or you're playing him, you'll probably just play him just because there's not that many options. If you're playing him, if you're thinking about it from the Thursday to Monday, I just don't think you need to bother. So I don't foresee my, I don't tend to play that Sunday into Monday slate. So I don't foresee myself really having to invest here. And I think that it will, you know, I'll, I'll wind up getting a little bit more information this week. And maybe the price will get messed up. But the nice thing is actually about it being a Monday night game that, the price probably won't be adjusted for the following week. So I think we get basically a week, a free week to see what's going to happen with Woods before we move forward. But one guy I want to, before we get away from injuries, that I'd like to talk about is actually Kenny Galladay. He comes out here, Oof. has 13 targets, and the news on Marvin Jones is that he will likely, he's day-to-day right now, but people believe, you know, just reading the tea leaves, that he might be held out for week 11 since they're going to be playing on Thursday for Thanksgiving the following week. Do we want to bump Galladay up I mean he's pretty still pretty cheap like he's still at 6400 he finally got the targets didn't turn it into too many yards but he did score the touchdown and scored 17 fantasy points are we back on the Galladay train for a week or week oh man it was so frustrating seeing this because that the at least the amount of targets that he got this week um based on you know we have you know he he ends up having a pretty good game six for 78 and one and a touchdown on 13 targets the the targets just come and go. Like it's so hard with guys like this because. But not if Jones you know, is injured, the, right? Like if they just are out of Tate and Jones, I don't think the targets go. It sure doesn't seem like it. And then for some reason, when they were out of just Tate, he got like four targets the week before or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that maybe was an outlier game because Stafford just simply just spent the most of the game on the ground, and it just ended up being. I, I think I think you would if, if Jones is out. I think the price is just fine enough on Galladay. Uh, yeah, sixty four hundred on Fanduel. I think I'm he's even cheaper. I think he's even cheaper on DraftKings. Um, I'm just looking it up real quick. Yeah, he's 5,800 on DraftKings. I think you are. I think you're just fine taking the risk, and I think most people will if it's with, if Jones isn't there, and he's just not an efficient receiver, and we've seen it time and time again. And I just you know there's just enough of these you know they have enough of these Rick running backs getting targets like I don't know Theoretic and Karrion Johnson. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, 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 all this being said, I think it's probably an easy call if Jones is out and. I just, you know, in like the old Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green isn't there. Who else are they going to throw to kind of scenario where Tyler Boyd just didn't see that many targets because it was just easy to hone in on the few guys that are left uh, that actually have NFL talent. I could see Galladay sort of falling into that. Yeah, I liked our take on Tyler Boyd, by the way. Let's let's just shift over there for a quick second because 
I think this was a really great example of people getting going over the moon with like, oh, there's so much more opportunity now. But Tyler Boyd, being the type of receiver that he is, already had the opportunity that he was going to get, basically. Yep. And so, you know, there's a reason why, you know, when, when guys get injured, say you lose the top three receivers on a team, it's not like the fourth guy comes up and just gets 30 targets, right? Like, that's just not how football works. You can't throw to the same guy every time. And the guys who get targeted the most tend to get targeted the most mostly because they get open the most, not because the team... And then the team plans to throw to them because they get open the most. But Tyler Boyd isn't going to get open more often just because A.J. Green's not there, right? So the prices come down dramatically on Boyd this week. It's also a much worse matchup against Baltimore, but it just probably would behoove people to understand this going forward that one guy going out creates a little bit of opportunity but not always for the guy that you think yeah and i think that's what that was my concern we talked about this in chat leading into the lineup lock i said the concern here with boyd is that it's if we know that he's like kind of the last man standing in terms of just guys who can actually are just legitimate nfl wide receivers for this cincinnati team it stands to reason that the other team knows it as well and that's they, the Cincinnati just really couldn't do anything. Um, they they ended up with very few pass attempts. Dalton looked pretty bad, um, yeah. and they just it wasn't there was there wasn't opportunity really for anybody in that situation. And I think it really speaks to what happens when you go from a top you go from a top wide receiver in football in AJ Green to you know arguably a below replacement level guys below him, and you, that's going to be one of the steepest drop offs you see from one position to like one guy to to the replacement. I think AJ most of, some other teams can you know like Cooper Cup has Josh Reynolds. Now if you want to say okay, well is that Jared Goff? Is that the system? Like do they, is that what makes these guys you know suitable replacements? Maybe. And maybe Cincinnati just doesn't have that replacement, but they also just when they're throwing out guys like Alex Erickson and and guys like this, like those just it's 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 not arguably worse than than what you can sure. reasonably expect. Yeah, John Ross led the team with six targets, um, two for thirty nine. It was clear that they just just really couldn't get anything going on offense. Let's talk about some of these quarterback, uh, just quarterback performances real quick. We'll roll through uh, what we can start to maybe expect going forward and what we want to do with certain uh, like just certain performances. So, Mr. Trubisky, just another week of just. Mm-hmm. just lighting the world on fire in terms of fantasy. He's been a top five fantasy quarterback since like week four, week four on or something like that, or maybe even top three. Um, just consistently putting up numbers, uh, gets there on the ground, uh, you know, rushing touchdowns, was accurate this week, 77%. Where do we stand with Trubisky? The attempts are still never going to be huge in number just because the way their offense is and this guy just week after week it just seems like he's just putting up huge fantasy stats is he just among the upper tier of fantasy quarterbacks going forward or do you think there's been some run hot in his recent game log there's no question that there's run hot here uh, but the run hot so interpreting a guy running hot is always a tricky thing to do because i think a lot of people are tempted to say ah so he's running hot and you just take away all of the good production right but i think if you look at the way he's running hot in particular which is mostly in my opinion, on the touchdowns to attempts ratio, it still indicates that the Bears have a pretty specific plan when they get close, right? Like they don't they don't get 15 yards away and just start pounding Jordan Howard. Like they, they will pass to Tark Cohen. They'll let Trubisky scramble. You know, two rushing touchdowns now in the last four weeks. Uh, they're just leaving the ball in Trubisky's hands. They trust him a lot more than they trust the running game. And that's going to mean that, sure, like the sixth touchdown game against Tampa Bay was very obviously an outlier. But in the week since, there was only, well, let's see, so three touchdowns for him, three, two, one, and four. Like, he's going to score. He's going to be involved in two or three touchdowns a game minimum, it seems like. And so I think if you can basically sign up for that, aside from that very weird Buffalo game, then you're looking at a guy who's probably just a little bit underpriced, you know. And he's probably underpriced based on 
a few of these extremely erratic performances, but I think we've seen enough to where those, like that Buffalo game looks more like an outlier to me than it does, oh, this is just like something that can happen for this guy sometimes, right? So yeah, I, I think I'm a believer in Trubisky going forward. Yeah, for sure. And actually, if you look at some of the top quarterback performances this week from a fantasy perspective, one theme is that a lot of these guys just had huge games with very few passing attempts. So the top yeah. five the top five fantasy quarterbacks this week, Trubisky, Roethlisberger, Breeze, Wilson, Baker, uh, or Baker Mayfield, none of them had, Trubisky had uh, the most of those, had 30 passing attempts. And that was 25, 25, 26, 20. I'm mean, just uber efficient fantasy days. A lot, some of it was because these guys uh, rushed. Um, does that, like, you know, when you see lower passing attempts from guys like Breeze and guys like Roethlisberger in big wins these where they really weren't taxed all that much. Do we want to make sweeping generalizations from just low attempt games like this? And Breeze I'm a little concerned about because they're getting better on offense um, and we could be reverting back to what happened with them last year with a two-headed monster. But um, what, what do you do when you see these low passing attempts and just huge fantasy performances? Does it make you, does it make your eyes kind of like, you know, make you raise an eyebrow or just kind of move on because these just kind of just can happen on a week-to-week basis in football? Well, it, I kind of move on mostly because... Well, I guess it depends. Like, in the case of Roethlisberger, he threw for five touchdowns, right? So, like, after your team gets a touchdown, you just don't get to keep the ball on offense. (laughs) So, you know, it's like you can't blame the guy for just being super efficient, 13 yards per attempt, and just putting five touchdowns on the board and completing 88% of his passes. Like, if anything, the fact that he did it in such a hyper-efficient way is a great sign for him going forward because the team can't help but notice that too, right? So I don't think the plan is just to give the ball to Roethlisberger less. It's just that when you score, you don't get to keep the ball. It'd be fun if to do make it, take it in the NFL someday. We <laughs> see what kind of scores we could put up. But uh, in the case of a guy like Breeze, I feel a little bit, even though his line, he's also a 22 for 25 line. I think the context around Breeze, or actually Wilson might be a better example of this, where like the fact that he still wasn't super efficient, he wound up getting it done on the ground, but hasn't been running a ton this season. I'd be more concerned about projecting Wilson for big performances going forward uh, than I would for, like, say, Roethlisberger or even Trubisky. So, uh, you know, like as anything, I'm just going to try and take it on a case-by-case, context-driven basis. Uh, By the way, I'm just speaking of Seattle and Wilson because I'm going to move into running backs here. I mean, has there been a team that's—I want to use a curse word here, but I'm not going to— a team that just Fs around more with the running back situation than Seattle does this year? It's like Chris Carson gets ruled out. It's like, oh, Mike Davis just looks like a great play. Uh, no, except for Rashad Penny gets 27 snaps, carries the ball more than Davis, carries him for 12 for 108 in the touchdown, no targets. Davis still sees the targets. He's he still touched the ball 17 times against the Rams, 11 carries, six mm-hmm. targets. Um, I, I this I, I don't have any great statement to make here, except this seems like a theme for Seattle all season. It's like who the, who is their running back going to be on a week to week basis? I'm not even sure Pete Carroll knows going into the game. Um, then yeah, that's honestly probably like, not the worst thing to do. Like. If you're if all your guys are the same, it just doesn't really matter who you play. And taking yep. fresh legs, like plenty of studies have been done to show that the thing that probably matters the most in the NFL is like having a running back who just doesn't have dead legs from getting pounded in the ground three hundred times so far this season. Yep. So I don't mind it honestly from a football perspective, but it makes them irrelevant from a DFS perspective. And you want to be very careful, uh, you know, walking into those Mike Davis bear traps or whatever based on just what happened for last week or even two weeks in a row, right? So. You know, it's interesting you say that, too, because if you look at some of the top performances from the running back position this week, that is something of a theme. Uh, we get guys like Nick Nick Chubb's a guy that we talked a lot about in a cash game um, and game by game. Just It was a guy that was very close to lineups for us as well. Um, and the reason we liked him was because his opportunity really did seem like script independent. Like he was yes. getting 20 t- carries Great even point. when Cleveland was losing. And then I think I specifically wrote in our article 
I mean, imagine a situation where Cleveland is winning a game. Yeah. Yeah. Like imagine a situation where they actually get up. The guy's going to carry the ball. Uh, he's going to touch the ball even more. Now he did carry 20 times. He, that those, those carries were ended up being less because one of those carries was just for 97 yards or or something like that. So he just didn't need to carry the ball. Um, the next few times down the foot, he just did, he did the whole damn thing in one run. Um, but he, he's one guy, uh, Aaron Jones and our guy LaShawn McCoy these are some of the guys who just haven't carried the ball a ton this season have some of the top performances but Chubb going forward is he do we put him in that elite tier uh, I don't think the Browns play this week but do we put him in that in the, that elite tier of running back touches going forward now knowing that it, it's just kind of happened for him no matter which way the game's going for Cleveland yeah I think certainly relative to his price I think he's definitely in the elite tier of the six to seven thousand dollar running backs obviously you don't want to pencil him into like the Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Kareem Hunt sort of level just yet. But I think, especially as a big tournament play, and this is like where your uh, commentary was so astute last week, which is basically like sometimes teams wind up winning unexpectedly in games. <laughs> you know? yep. And if you're, you know, I was trying to talk to a chatter in our pre- or members only chat the other night about this, but like they were like, well, why don't you play more GPP lineups these days? Asking me. And I was like, well, basically, since I started, like when we first started this business, I did tons and tons. But since now, nights where I'm working, I have to be paying attention to so many little variables that I don't have the energy to commit. They're like, but you know more about this slate than anyone. I was like, that might be true. And if I can't sit there and really think about like, because like for me, creating a good GPP lineup is about telling a story. Like, right. okay, here's what's going to happen in this game. The Browns get up. They wind up. So what, what will the Browns do when they're up? Okay, well, they'll just keep giving the ball to Nick Chubb. They already want to give him the ball 18 times. Okay, well, what will the Falcons do in response? Well, they'll probably pass to Julio Jones, you know, because they have to come back, right? And so that's how you you have to, like, for me, if I feel like I'm making good, big tournament-winning lineups, since tournaments are so top-heavy and most of the value in playing tournaments comes from coming in, like, the top five or even winning, you have to do that. And I just don't have the capacity to do that while keeping track of every single input, right? So, but I, I love that point about Chubb, and it really speaks to, you know, big tournament lineup construction 101. If you're not doing that, you're probably just leaving way too much equity on the table. Yeah, and, so, and you know that you call it telling a story. Other people are going to call it correlation plays. I mean, it's like it all means the same thing. It's just like how one thing affects the other in a certain scenario. So Chubb, Chubb just um, I, he's going to be close for me in terms of overall touches. I think when we end up when when they come back uh, from the bye, uh, he's not there now. I don't think, but he's he's definitely if he's not in the top tier, he's easily like the one A tier right below. Um, just because. He just it very much seems like all part of their plan. And if the offense is going to be a little better, meaning they can just, I don't know, get ahead in games, I the, the, you could see 25 to 27 carries out of him. And I think, like I said, the only reason we didn't see it is because he just broke that one huge long run and just they did, need not give him the ball in between the tackles uh, sure. <laughs> as they marched as they marched down the field. Uh, other running back games that stood out, I mean, we talked about Aaron Jones. Uh, he was a guy that I really like going into the week. He ended up being excellent, scored two touchdowns, um, averaged almost 10 yards a carry. In this game, did he another guy where he only, he saw 15 carries? He was another one though. Did we see less carries from him because he was just breaking off so much, such huge chunks of yards uh, on those carries, or is he a guy that it's hard to still be like? Is, is 20 touches a game a, a good number for Aaron Jones going forward? He had 18 in this one, um, but like I said, I wonder how much of that was just because he was breaking off huge yardage. Yeah, I mean now I feel like now you can draw a pretty good line in. Aaron Jones's production from you know based on this 
thing a few weeks ago where it seemed like they were starting to move away from Jamal Williams. Williams had been, you know, chewing into, you know, 10, maybe even more touches per game. You know, that dipped down to four against the Rams. He had a little uptick against New England, but now that game actually looks like the outlier along the progression. The fact that Williams only touched the ball three times last game is the best sign for me here. He was touched the ball three times, short yardage situations, wasn't very good. Jones was electric, touched the ball, you know, out-touched him dramatically. I think now we have a very clear indicator that he's the RB1 going forward, and I think you can project him accordingly. So, you know, Thursday night game against Seattle, the 11th, what do they call the guy? The 12th man or whatever in Seattle. Maybe you don't want to play him on the road here, but I think regardless, he's still more than a $6,700 running back. So I think you can treat him accordingly. Yeah, um, out snapped him three to one, 47, uh, 42 to fourteen. Uh, so, and that's exactly what we were kind of waiting for. Uh, for and that's really just you know those snaps and you, you mentioned the touches of when those numbers start trending, and then the guys obviously um, just crushes on those touches, like it's just so hyper efficient on them. And you, it's it's rare to see the snap count kind of go back the other way, unless you play for Seattle, and then you just who the hell knows what, what, what they're going to do. Uh, any other running back performances stand out to you? We can touch on some wide receivers as well. Yeah, sure. So I think there were a couple of interesting ones. Um, I think the so for starters, I don't know what to make of Leonard Fournette. The guy comes back, Jacksonville, not shy. Twenty nine touches for him. I mean, is this like malpractice at this point? Like, what is what are they doing? I, I guess the guy has been nothing but hurt with his hamstring. This this one thing that like it's just a con, the hamstring, the ankles, like the legs are constantly injured. It's like the one thing that gets the guy more injured is to just overuse them in specific right. games. He sits forever, and then he gets the ball 29 times. Like you, you, I, There should be like a lawsuit filed against these guys. Like It's, <laughs> it's, it's so egregious. Anyway, like yeah, 29 times, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel bad for the guy. Almost. They, get, they got Carlos Hyde there and TJ Yeldon, and they still give him the ball. Like They just wanted to get injured again. Like, what the hell? Yeah, I don't know what the hell, to be honest with you, Doug. I'm not sure, but uh, the 29 touches were a very, very good sign for his fantasy production purposes anyway. And the fact that he was just just totally terrible in terms of a yards per attempt basis, I guess that's like a little troubling going forward. But uh, the, the touches are really what I want to highlight. And I think that, you know, given that there are a few other guys in that tier who can get the 29 touches a game, but they're not really as common as they've been in the past. You know, we've talked about this ad nauseum. And even like there was this really, I guess like on a general running back level, I'm curious to know your thoughts here. We did see the general uptick uh, in these high, super high usage running backs, basically all of these guys have some of their lowest touch games of the season this week. And this, this is the major trend. And I don't know if it's an actual trend or just an outlier once again, but we saw Gurley 16 touches on the ground and four targets in the air. We saw Hunt just 16 carries, two targets. We saw James Conner, you know, he, he wound up getting banged up. They hope he'll clear the concussion protocol for this week, but he winds up with just 14 touches. Uh, Kamara winds up with very, very few touches, even though he scored a couple touchdowns and it kind of got him there. Are we concerned going forward about some of these big volume running backs, or was this kind of like a just a perfect storm where everyone in the same week decided to be bad at the same time? Well, I think like it's, it's kind of case specific, right? Like you're worried about Kamara because they have Ingram there, and in games where they're going to be ahead, they just are going to give Ingram the ball. Like the second half was kind of all Ingram. Like why waste Kamara in this situation um, right. when you just don't need to? They're winning by they're winning by so many. And if you think that's going to be the case going forward with New Orleans, then I would be worried about his touches uh, overall. Um, you know, some of these other guys, I, like Melvin Gordon, just he, the guy hasn't rushed the ball more than 18 times a game the whole yeah. entire season. Gordon's so, still like, great, guy, by the way, last week, and still had 23 touches. So I, I guess maybe if I lumped him in there, I, that was accidental. Uh, he was still very, very good last week. But um, who were some of the other guys you mentioned? Oh, Gurley, yeah, um, yeah. James Conner, Gurley, Kareem Hunt. 
Well, Connor, Connor is in, in the concussion protocol right now, so um, I think he's going to clear. He, I think he should clear. I'm, I'm not so concerned if he got there. Excuse me, if he were to clear, I wouldn't be concerned that they're going to go back to him. That was another game that was, was way, way out of hand. Like, Pittsburgh was just sure. completely destroying Carolina. The game was easily over by halftime, so they just there was no—and he got and he got popped. Um, so he he wouldn't be one that I would really worry about. I don't know. I guess I just want to go case-specific when it comes to some of these guys. Uh, you know, one guy that I'm still very confident is Zeke going forward. Dallas seems like they have at least figured something out in offense, too. Were they able to pass a little more consistently? I think you're going to see Zeke's already a guy— getting prepared to write up for a cash game article this week um, for, for some of these running backs. Hit me up with some of the uh, wide receiver, any wide receiver plays that stood out to you this week. Um, we got, you know, we already mentioned Tyler Boyd. Uh, there were some other big games, not a huge amount of targets for any one. Uh, Kenny Galladay led the league in targets this week with 13. So you're not seeing uh, some crazy numbers, but like I said, there was just very low passing attempts from a lot of these games. Any wide receiver stuff stand out to you besides the Galladay Boyd stuff that we talked about? Yeah, already. it's mostly that high level trend that you discussed, which is you saw a lot of guys kind of taking a step back in terms of being premium target guys. And this is a time like when when there's lean times at wide receiver, it's when I look to the guys that seem to just get it done week in week out. And so you know, I highlighted Julio Jones as my favorite big money play last week. Uh, he wound up being targeted 11 times, caught seven balls for 107 yards and a touchdown. And while he wasn't, didn't wind up being the best big money receiver, he was still, it spoke to what I was hoping for from Jones, which is that he would not kill you. <laughs> and so uh, the fact that he went out there and still did it was very welcome sign to me. Uh, Tyree Kill, you know, biggest, highest scoring receiver on the slate. He was in all of our cash game lineups, but only an 8% play overall. I mean, looking at the fact that he only got 10 targets last week, but still excellent. Do you feel like we got that call correct? Was it less targets and we kind of get lucky on the touchdowns? What's your take on Hill's big game? Yeah, I mean, I love the play going in. I was shocked by the when Sammy Watkins is ruled out. Like if you look back to the games where Sammy Watkins, the game where Sammy Watkins sat, he Hill had his highest target game of the season. He had like 13 targets that game or something like that. I was couldn't believe that Watkins news. I mean, maybe it was the blowout factor people were worried about, but. I, there, you really do. You take a decent amount of targets off the table with a guy like Watkins sitting, and Tyreek. It just seems like the number. It seemed like the number one beneficiary. I mean, it's easy to look back and say, "Oh, he had a huge game," but still, we were. I was correcting the opportunity. I think I only had him at nine and a half targets. And the guys are so the guys so unbelievable when the targets are there that right. you could be very bullish on their performance. So. It's one thing to say, oh, maybe he got lucky on those ten targets. I, I'd say, I, no, that's just kind of what he does on his targets. Yeah, the guy, if he gets if big he, targets, he, he tends to turn them into big production. But I guess exactly, it's, like, it's a little bit of a bummer because Watkins. Well, not a bummer for Watkins, but Watkins likely returning uh, for their next game. So, and it's against the Rams, huge total. Maybe you can just play Hill anyway. But the fact that Watkins seemed so close to playing last week and then got ruled out, maybe this was just the only week that you can really tap into the, you know, double digit target projection for Hill. So. I don't know if we'll wind up landing on him again if Watkins does return. Um, I'm going to – two more guys before we get out of here I want your thoughts on. Amari Cooper, 10 targets this week. Um, it's been the one thing that Dallas has not been able to do is target any of their wide receivers in the passing game. Uh, uh-huh. You know, you could say it's a, a ta- it was a talent issue before that they did use the first-round pick to bring Cooper in, and Dak is clearly targeting him. Uh, only, ten, only six catches for 60 yards, but is he a guy – like, do, do we want to assign – you know, eight to nine targets a game for Cooper going forward. Because if we do, then this price, the prices that we're looking at for him going into this week, only 5,400 on DraftKings. Uh, I think he was a little bit more expensive on FanDuel. Yeah, 66 on FanDuel. This is firmly in that, you know, like middle tier of wide receiver. But if he's just going to be the wide receiver one in a, good, in a decent matchup, is he a guy that we can trust as maybe just the guy now in, in Dallas that's just going to be, that's going to gobble up that wide receiver one kind of usage? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I tend to not want to follow 
you know, try to read people's minds very often, but you have to think with how widely that trade was panned and the fact that they have just such an unusual ownership situation there with Jerry Jones that somebody is telling somebody you're going to be throwing the ball to Cooper some amount of times, right? right. <laughs> like this is just going to have to happen. And, you know, he didn't turn it into a whole lot, but that's that's not really part of what you come to expect with Cooper. You know, if he's going to get 10 targets, he can still break the wide, you know, the big run. He can still put up decent numbers uh, when it all comes together. So, yeah, I'm a believer in Cooper. I think the $6,600 price tag is probably too low given that, you know, we're now on back-to-back weeks, eight targets, and then 10 targets. So, yeah, nine targets, 10 targets, I think is totally in play here. Uh, Cooper and Zeke saw basically 50% of the targets last week, uh, and now they go, the Dallas is going in to an Atlanta team that just got basically just dogged all over by the Browns last week. Their defense is terrible. I think you're going to see some pretty high ownership on these guys. And my final question, Zach Ertz, at this point, are we talking about just playing Zach Ertz? Like he's a wide receiver one. The guy overall on the season, I think it's like fourth just overall in targets. Why was not? I mean, he's destroying tight end. So like that's he's easily the top tight end guy uh, on the on the year when it comes to targets. I don't think there's no one else even close. He's coming off something like a 15 or 16 target game. I, yeah, he had 14 catches last week, um, and he has. I'm just looking. Yeah, he has 100 targets on the season. Kelsey's the next closest guy with 14 less. Are we talking about maybe just playing you know upper tier wide receiver prices for? for Ertz at this point is he that much better than the rest of the field this is usually not where we want to go with tight ends but it's really kind of seemed like it's hard to get away from this kind of target share yeah I, you gotta love the target share but I still think that this is not the position that you want to spend up at so it's almost like you can it's just and I don't know if this is like a weird pricing thing or what I've never been able to make total heads or tails of like why you know a guy who's like why the high-end tight ends are more expensive relative to their production than wide receivers of similar production. I don't get that. And then on the same token, you know, there's so many tight ends in like the 5,000s that you'd probably play at wide receiver on similar target share. And it's just like one of the most weirdly priced uh, positions in the NFL. So I almost think that if you're going to be an expensive tight end, it's going to be really tough. Like I, I get it, 16 targets, a lot of targets. And it's still tough to spend that much money at tight end. So... I'm just not sure yet. Well, go tell our system that because he's in 100% of lineups right now. And I and like I, I have him for less than his medium and average target share on the season. So uh, I think yeah. it's going to be... This I, I guess situation. I don't hate it. It's just like the lineups. Like When you actually wind up sitting there looking at the lineups, maybe maybe it's just my emotional reaction, but it's really tough to... I always, I'm always happier when I have a bad player at tight end than I am at wide receiver running back. <laughs> I don't know if that's just like a me problem or what, but... That sounds like a you problem. All right, we're going to get out of here. DailyFantasySportsRankings.com is the site. DFSR.com slash deals gets you that free seven-day trial to our projection system powered by our good friends over at Lineup Lab. Optimal lineups for FanDuel and DraftKings NFL, NBA, premium uh, content, premium chat, all cover on the one subscription package. So go check that out. DFSR.com slash deals. We'll be back again Thursday talking some cash game. Uh, or cash game plays for week 11. Game um, Friday we'll be back talking a game-by-game game breakdown for week 11. Go check out our NBA podcast as well going up uh, Wednesdays and Fridays where we talk about the bigger slates of basketball action. Buddy, enjoy the rest of your day. Let's go, let's go right up some cash game plays. All right. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. 
there's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Let's talk credit card debt for a minute. If you feel you're carrying too much of it, you're not alone. The average household in the U.S. carries over $8,000 in credit card debt. Ready for some good news? With a cash-out refinance from Quicken Loans, you can quickly and easily put some of the equity in your home to good use by paying off a lot of that high-interest credit card debt. A great way to take cash out is with our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%, APR 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN to learn how taking cash out with a 30-year fixed mortgage might be the right solution for you. And for a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 0.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030.